first pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. The Jacksonville Jaguars select Trophy Chase, Arizona. With the second pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Cody Smith, Houston, Texas. The Fantasy Draft Room is now on the clock. Welcome to the Fantasy Draft Room. I am Chase. You can find me on Twitter at Trophy Chase, TFDR. And as always, my man Cody, where can they find you at? As always, y'all can find me over on Twitter at Cody Smith, TFDR. You can check out the joint account on Twitter at underscore TFDR. YouTube at the Fantasy Draft Room, where you should be watching for this episode, especially right now, because we're going to be diving into some heavy data that you will want to be following along with. But if you can't, you can also listen on the podcast form, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure to like, subscribe, review, rate, comment, all of those things that we love for the algorithms. You know what they are. You can do them down below, wherever you can do it. Just do it for us. You know, we do we do really appreciate every single one of those that we get. And with that, I think that's all we got to plug. We've got some really cool data to do for this show. However, we've got some very uncool news to talk about as we kick off this show. Yes. So we'll get into the to the running back stuff in a little bit here, and we'll also get some start sits to discuss. But obviously, the most important news is Kyler Murray uh, out for the season, torn ACL. What on earth? are you doing with kyler murray oh man i'm kind of glad i i don't have any kyler murray shares and unfortunately you know he was going to be my biggest probably target at the quarterback position this offseason because he was slipping in ranks already which isn't good for his long-term fantasy outlook but he was slipping in ranks people people were souring on kyler he's still producing like a top 10 quarterback on the year but people were not having it. You know, they're coming out with all, all of the negatives. You know, he's short. He's not running as much. He, he's got a bad attitude. He has to be forced to study. All of the narratives were negative. But he was still producing, just not at the totally elite level. Like we've seen, we've seen him be a quarterback one overall before. And so he was going to be a massive buy for me in the offseason. Probably one of those guys that I think can hit that BAM tier of quarterback, has been that BAM tier of quarterback. He's not that anymore because he's got an ACL and we're probably not going to get him back for the start of the regular season next year. It's pretty upsetting. Yeah. Kyler was getting Kyler and Dak were the two like upper tier guys all year that have been getting shit on for different narratives. Um, Kyler, unfortunately, you know, the ACL does take him out for, I'd say a good chunk of next year. We'll see what ends up happening in this off season with that team as a whole. Is Cliff Kingsbury going to be there? Blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is he is signed with the Arizona Cardinals. So I am not worried about his situation going forward. He's still, yes, he he uses his legs, right? But he's not going to be immobile now because he has a torn ACL. So for me, I'm not panicked on him. I still think he's going to be a buy. And, and now I think you can buy him at a much cheaper price this offseason. Um, he doesn't leave the top 12 for me, right? Like I think that's kind of the bottom line when it comes down to Kyler. He does not leave the top 12 of quarterbacks. And if you can buy him for cheap, I mean, we saw, we saw deals where people were trading away Kyler Murray for Jared Goff. Yeah. No, thanks. No, <laughs> no way. There's only one of those guys that can be a top 10 producer. Yes. 100%. So having said that, what, 
what are you doing? You said you don't have any Kyler Murray shares. What are you going to be doing this offseason? What kind of deals would you package together to try and acquire him? And and then we can kind of touch on, I have a couple Kyler shares. I'll kind of get into what I might sell him for if I'm interested in doing that. Yeah, on the buying side of things, it's going to be a little bit rough because most of my rosters that maybe didn't make the playoffs this year, I've only got one or two that are really like fully punting fully going to be punting in 23 and Kyler's not the quarterback or Kyler is the quarterback for that situation, but he's not the situation for the most of my teams that have not made the playoffs this year where I need a quarterback for the first eight weeks. And that's probably what we're projecting Kyler to miss at least at minimum next year. And then there's complications, you know, he could be slow coming back. He could, he has the risk of re-injury coming back as well, especially if they try to rush him back. So on those teams, I'm probably trying to avoid unless I can get a really good discount. Like you said, I think you have to explore it everywhere because if you can just buy him for like Jared Goff types, even even types like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. Like if you can straight swap those guys, I can figure out a QB two as long as my QB one spot is still locked up. I can figure out a QB two for half the season. And if I can just get a Kyler Murray at that much of a discount, I'm exploring every one of those options. And it might be an excellent year to tank, to be honest with you, you know, with the 24 class looking as strong as it is. So if you're missing Kyler for half the year, I mean, we saw you've kind of seen it for most of your leagues. And I'm sure if you think about it, a lot of the Deshaun Watson owners that have missed Deshaun Watson for 11 weeks. And yes, that's longer than what Kyler is projected to miss next year. But most of those Watson teams aren't competing this year. Like unless they already had two locked in quarterbacks and then Watson came back for the most part, those teams aren't true top contenders or they weren't this year. Um, sure. You're going to have some different outliers, but for the most part, so next year, Kyler, if you're, you're missing half the year, you're probably going to be losing a good chunk of your weeks, but being able to buy him for Derek Carr in a second, would you do that? If you had to even kick in an extra this offseason, Derek Carr in a second in the right spot, I would, man, especially if, um, you know, we're not, pr- we're not trying to project, we still have the 23 pick. So if I can send back end seconds, back end seconds with Derek Carr to go get Kyler Murray, a guy that I had at the beginning of the season, I think was my QB six coming in. Like <laughs> I'm going to, I can do that. I can, I can hold off for the couple of weeks that he isn't going to be there for me. And I can play the long game, play a little bit of a tank game, see how the season goes. And if it doesn't start off hot, you know, just lean into the tank, embrace it and prepare for 2024, set up my team to really contend there. Cause it, it can happen. You can turn it around that mm-hmm. quick. Yes, you can. Yeah. I think that that would be a great move to make this off season. I know people are going to be talking about selling Kyler all off season, but in the end it's dynasty. In the end, he is playing the most important position in football and in fantasy football. So if you're able to get a top 10 guy, because as we've talked about, if you've watched any of our previous episodes, quarterback is scarce. It is so scarce. And if you're able to get one of those guys for cheap, this is the best time to do it. This is your buy opportunity. This is the window. Uh, You have to try and explore it in every league you can. Like In my opinion, that's exactly what I do. If you can buy low on Kyler and, and eat it for a little bit, Essentially, you're trading what was your quarterback to in Derek Carr or or Kirk Cousins plus a small something to get Kyler. I mean, to, to me, that's a no brainer. I would personally be doing that anywhere I possibly could. And I'm going to a try. You know, we'll we'll see what results we get, um, because on the flip side, you know, selling Kyler Murray doesn't feel great right now. Like, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It It's just tough to do because. The window in which what happened this week, obviously, it was leading into playoffs, right? So you had essentially it was Monday night football. You had that day for most leagues to trade away Kyler Murray and see what 
you could get. We've saw, I mean, I saw a couple of deals where you had to kick in some additional pieces, but, you know, selling off for, for Dak Prescott, but you also had to kick in, you know, Cooper Cup and, and end up getting Hollywood. So like, there's some different things that did work out. I think that was the best deal I saw being able to, it was what? Mac yeah. Jones, it was Mac Jones, um, Dak Prescott and Hollywood for Kyler, Derek Carr and Cooper Cup. So that three for three is something you can try and build together. And if I'm down tiering from, from Kyler to Dak, that's something I'd be interested in doing. That's a deal I want to do. Like if I can try to move to Dak, so I'm still staying in that top 12, that would be my goal if I'm selling Kyler. I do not want to take those deals where I'm selling for Kirk Cousins. Like personally, I just don't want to do that. That's not as far low. Like that's not as low as I want to go. How do you feel about that? Like would you even explore those those guys in Kirk Cousins range? Or are you staying in that top group if possible? No. The plus I'd have to be getting on top of it is just a lot. And it's probably not what most people are going to be getting. Can I explore it? Sure. But is it going to be a likely deal that I'm going to land on? Probably not. And I think the thing with Kyler right now is, yeah, you can down tier, but we've seen it. We've seen it with Trey Lance whenever he whenever he got injured. People were saying, you know, sell for any first. And then what have we seen through every one of our startup mocks that we've done? He's still going in the mid-second round. He's not worth a mid-first because quarterback is so scarce that people will still buy in on the hope. People will still buy in on Kyler Murray. I mean, I was in a startup mock yesterday where we kicked off the first round. This is after the Kyler news came out. We knew it was an ACL. And Kyler Murray went off at the 112 because he's still in that top tier of guys. So if you're selling off to drop down to what's going to be in startups, like a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick for some of these quarterbacks, even past that for guys like Jared Goff, I mean, you're just taking so much of a value hit. I would rather just eat the L and hold on to Kyler for half a season, a full season. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to take that much of a loss on my asset unless I know that I can turn it into picks and I can just grind grind the trade market and eventually recoup my value because for most of us, we don't trade like that. So I would much rather just sit on that pick and or sit on that asset and hold it. Yeah. I feel, I feel the exact same way. I feel like I'm sitting on Kyler in most spots, unless I can get the down tier to Dak. Like I, and I would, if I was in the playoffs, would I consider paying up an additional like uh, second or something like that to, to stay in the same tier just to get playoff production. If you are in leagues that can trade, I might be willing to do it if it keeps me in contention, like true contention, not like I'm just a playoff team, but I'd say 95% of the time I'm holding Kyler Murray and just waiting it out. The, the value will come back. Everything's going to end up being fine. And if it's not, hey, wait it out throughout next year. You're going to have to eat the L, but you're going you're to be able to make different moves to benefit your team in the long run versus selling for a Kirk Cousins. So uh, anything else you want to touch on in regards to Kyler Murray? I don't got anything else on Kyler, man. Let's get into some of these. We're getting into the playoffs. We got to get to these matchups. We got to get the wins now. Every win matters. If we're in the playoffs, we got to win every single week. Unless you're doing the two week playoff things in some of those leagues, don't really don't really enjoy those. But what do we got for our matchups <laughs> yeah. this week? So I'm going to dive into uh, each position here, and we're going to kind of discuss, just kind of go over some quick starts for us. Now, these are not obvious starts for the most part, like Justin Herbert. He's playing the second ranked defense. Like, don't worry about the or don't worry about those. We're going to go into the true deep dives of, hey, like, do I start this guy or not? So our week 15 quarterback starts are going to be Mike White versus Detroit. Detroit is the worst secondary in the league. So you can bet on Mike White being able to put up a good fantasy week for you 
if he's healthy. Uh, hopefully everything's healed up. He took an absolute beating this last week, but he should be able to bounce back and have a great week. Andy Dalton versus Atlanta, ninth worst team in the league coming off of a bye week. Hopefully they've got something figured out for Andy Dalton to be successful. And then good old Ripium for, for Denver. Uh, most likely he's starting or Russ in that case versus the Cardinals, seventh worst secondary in the league. So he would be another good spot start option or kind of a confidence booster after what Russell built on last week. If Russ is in fact healthy, Brock Purdy again, Seattle 11th worst secondary. And after what Purdy did last week, I feel like you have to put him in and those are just desperation starts at quarterback running back. We're going to have Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon versus the worst run defense in the Houston Texans. You got to fire them up after, after what you've seen out of them. They're going to get touches. They're going to get opportunities. And all you need is a touchdown. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards versus Cleveland is the third worst defense against the run. So Gus Edwards is still getting touches. J.K. Dobbins just went off for 120 yards. Sure, it didn't look pretty, but hey, he's being successful at running the ball. That would be a great matchup. And last in the running backs is going to be Cam Akers versus the Green Bay Packers. Sixth worst defense. Akers is getting touches. He scored a touchdown in each of the last two games. I feel like if you're looking for a running back spot start or a start this week, he would be a great option. Now getting into the pass catchers for week 15 starts. Wide receiver, we're going to have Keenan Allen and Mike Will. Now this one seems kind of obvious, but the way that tennis or the way that uh, they have struggled passing the ball this year, they're play, playing Tennessee in the worst pass defense. So you got to fire those guys up, maybe even add in a Palmer or Carter. If you're desperate, Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore versus Detroit is another great one too. So piling up with that Mike white stuff, Corey Davis is out. Elijah Moore got 10 targets last week. I feel comfortable putting him in my lineup. If I'm needing a wide receiver start, Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell, any of those guys against Minnesota. Minnesota got torched last week. They're going to get torched again. I know it's Matt Ryan and it feels scary, but if you're in desperation mode or you're in a deep league, try and fire up one of those guys. You have a good probability of getting some, you know, six catches, 80 yards out of those types of guys. And then the last pass catcher for the wide receivers is going to be Amari Cooper. And of course, DPJ, they just talked about, you know, end up passing the ball, uh, passing more, like throwing the deep ball more Baltimore secondary seventh worst. So I'd look forward to firing them up. Now our pass catching tight ends, pretty simple here. Kittle Debo's out fire up George Kittle against Seattle. Everett against Tennessee. Again, another passing situation where Tennessee is awful against pass catchers. Tyler Conklin again against Detroit. So you can see some tendencies here. Fire him up against Detroit. Again, Corey Davis being out and the, and the relationship he has with Mike White should be a good one. Last but not least, Jawan Johnson versus Atlanta. Uh, coming off the bye, Troutman is out. Not a lot of pass catching options. Jawan Johnson, fire him up if he's healthy and out there. Yes, sir. Oh. Let's go get those wins. Let's go get those wins. Playoff wins coming down man, the wire, man. Fantasy season's almost over here. <laughs> Fired it off, man. It was good. It was All good right, roll went on there. So now, now that we've gotten through our week 15 starts here, we're going to get into the fun data that that you have put together. We're going to walk through the process of why these numbers matter to us in fantasy. Uh, really, what what it all is. So it's the running back cliff data is what we are going to dive into here. So uh, let me pull this up here and here we go. The data deep dive. What is this running back cliff? So the running back cliff data, we've heard this term thrown around a lot. And normally whenever we think of running back cliff data, we think of 
the age cliff data. People say, hey, whenever your running back starts turning 27, 28, you know, that's going to be your fall off period. You better get you better get the hell out of Dodge. Sell them off for any first because these guys are not going to keep producing for you. They're going to fall off the cliff. They're going to Todd Gurley you and you're never going to be able to recoup any value on these guys. But we haven't really seen that as of late. We've got some guys on the screen that are kind of nearing that nearing that point we've got derrick henry who's just an absolute beast running over people we always think he's gonna fall off he's had the injury last year but he's running over people again this year we've got dalvin cook who's getting up there in age people say you start selling off at 26 this is where in the offseason i wasn't so sure so i wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into these running backs and reimagine how we viewed running back cliff data so what i wanted to do was take historical data and turn it into running back touch cliff data. I've seen some people do this before, but I wanted to take it a step further. I thought, okay, well, we have our touches in the NFL. People have done this before. I wanted to take it a step further and combine their college touches with their NFL touches. Because, you know, those rushes and those catches when you're still getting tackled in college, those are still going to add up. They're still going to wear and tear on the body. And some of these guys we've seen just be absolute workhorses in college. I would think that this would lead to a little bit more of an earlier fall off in your NFL career as well. So what I did was I went back and I compiled a bunch of data for the last 10 years or so for some of our elite rushers over the course of that time. And I wanted to get a good, good number of just a small group of elite guys because it really feels like what we have here right now, especially with this 2017 class, which we'll get into a little bit further. These guys are just taking the league by storm and they just haven't let go they haven't let go of it they just keep producing these high-end years over high-end years so yes, with the, with all that let's actually pull up the first slide of data here and we'll get into what i used as my historical data set and i'm going to go through a little bit of the process here it's going to be it's going to be a data heavy episode here for the next <laughs> 30 minutes or so so if you need to Go, go to the screen, find your, find us on YouTube at the Fantasy Draft Room, pull it up. We've got all of the data here. If you're listening to it on a pod forum, I'm going to try to get all of this data out and put on the Twitter as quickly as possible as well, so that way you can view it over there. I'm going to try to make this as easily accessible to you all as possible. And if you have any questions about it afterwards, please feel free in the comments, reach out to me on Twitter, Discord, anything like that. Would be free. Feel free to walk through any of this with any of y'all that have any questions about it. Without further ado, let's get into who is our historical data set. Wanted to use a very elite data set, like I said, for these guys. So I looked back and I did this originally in this offseason during the summer. Wanted to look at the last 10 years of data that we had. So the 2011 to the 2021 season. And I wanted to look at guys who had been scoring 15 PPR points per game on the year. And there was some you know, constraints. You have to play. You have to play so many games, all that type of stuff, to be available for the list in that specific year. And I just and wanted I to point to- out with that 15 points per game is that is what Cody identified as the average running back one season. So typically, if you're about 15 points per game, you're either borderline or close to a RB one season. And obviously, if you're higher, you should be locked in. So that is why that number was picked out. Yep. And through those years, that that range of 15 points per game, there were some years, I think our low was eight running backs who hit 15 points per game in one year. And our high, I think, got up to 14 or 15. That was a really good year for running backs, I think, back in 2016, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. So really good year for running backs. But that was generally around the top 12 running backs. So we wanted the running back ones for this data set. 
And so here's what we have compiled. We've got all of the guys who have hit this number three times in their career. You have to be you have to be elite to get on this list. You have to hit it three times, be at RB1 basically three times over the course of your career. And so we have a really good list of running backs here. We've got 13 total guys. It's a little bit of a smaller sample size than I would like. But if you go back any further, it's not really modern day NFL anymore, right? Like that's back whenever we would just, even some of these guys, you just pound them up the middle for 27 times a game and they, you know, get to 15 points per game pretty easily that way. Just to, to read off real quick some of these names for people that can't see or are listening, we have Matt Forte, Adrian Peterson, LaShawn McCoy, Marshawn Lynch, DeMarco Murray, Mark Ingram, Arian Foster, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, uh, Jamal Charles, Zeke Elliott, Melvin Gordon, and Todd Gurley. So just to give you an idea of the names on this list too. Yeah, and here you can see listed out year over year when they hit 15 points per game or more and what their end of season points per game was. And you see some, I mean, man, what the one that I really wanted to point out here, just to take a break from breaking everything down, because <laughs> I know it is a lot. Todd Gurley, man, what an absolute monster couple of seasons that Todd Gurley put off and then just fell off the face of the earth. 22.7 points per game. The average of his elite seasons higher than anyone on this list, man. What what happened to Todd Gurley, man? Was it just the knees? Was it just a combination of everything? It's the knees and it's the next slide. I mean, it, 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 it does take a toll on your body. And he had 25 points per game and 26 points per game in back-to-back years. I mean, it was incredible what he was doing. But when you have those types of devastating knee injuries, uh, it, it just catches up to you, unfortunately. And, and health, along with the total carries that he has, like, those things matter. Those things they, matter. They do. And so looking here, the other columns that we have, we have the fall off year, which is the next year after you never produce a 15 point per game season again. So Matt Forte, he produced four 15 point per game seasons and through 2011 to 2015, 2016 and after never got back to that mark. 2016 is going to be his fall off year. And that's the same process we're going to be use, using moving forward throughout this entire process. The only other thing I'd like to mention here before we've got one last thing, Mark Ingram being the lowest on this one did hit 15 points per game four times, but only 16.4. He's the, he's probably the lowest out of the guys on this quote unquote elite tier of running backs that I pulled. I mean, he, he obviously hit those numbers, but again, 15, 17, 17, 16, probably more of an RB two, but uh, again, still a guy you wanted on your roster and still a guy you were happy to start in fantasy during those four years. No doubt. Yeah. Anything else you got here before we move on to the actual touch count for these guys? Nope. Let's jump over there and talk about this cliff. All right. Now here is where the core of the data actually lies. What I did was for all of these guys, I've got, I compiled their rush, amount of rushes before their fall off year in the NFL. So we see here at the top, Matt Forte was an absolute monster. 2,034 rushes before he never produced another 15-point-per-game season. Just absolutely insane what, we're, what we saw from Matt Forte throughout the course of his career. We, can, we broke it down a little bit further into his NFL receptions before his fall-off year, his rushes before his fall-off year, and then we did the same thing for their college stats. So even in college, he almost put up 1,000 touches in college as well. Ooh. 
putting up 833 rushes in college and 103 receptions in college. I mean, the man was just a workhorse from the time he stepped on the field in college till the time he left the NFL. So here we see from top to bottom, all of these guys listed out in their total amount of touches on the right, red being the highest that we see, green being the lowest that we see from this data set of guys. You can see Todd Gurley. I mean, truthfully, it kind of was the knees, really, if you're really looking at it. Only 18, the lowest guy on this list, 1,800 touches before he had his fall off here. Just, you know, the knees couldn't hold up for him. So he's the lowest one on this list that we have in the elite tier of guys. And then what I wanted to do here was average these guys out. These are our average of our elite producers that we've seen for the last 10 years in the league. These guys have averaged 724 touches in college. 1,786 touches at the NFL level before their fall-off year, and a total being 2,528 touches before their fall-off year in the NFL, and they never produce a top 15 or a 15-point-per-game or higher season again. Anything that you see from this slide before we move on to what we actually have in the current NFL right now? I just think I want to point out the fact that with these historical guys, like obviously these, you see some of these names or heard some of these names. Uh, some of these guys are the elite of the elite. Matt Forte, LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson, all over 3,000 total touches. So just because the average is 2,500, obviously there's some give and take. And when you look at the bottom of this list, Todd Gurley, knee issues, Melvin Gordon, kind of health issues, fumble issues. You know, it was just never a guy that could really cont continuously kind of put up those numbers. Zeke Elliott, that one kind of surprised me. I mean, but he's not, is he, is he back yet? Like I, you know, we, we've kind of talked about him being a potential outlier because he fell off at 14.9 points. So he barely missed the data set during one of those years. So there's kind of questions whether or not he's actually, actually cliff worthy. So, yeah, but we can actually go back to that uh, the first slide here real quick and kind of look a little bit further into that Ezekiel Elliott one. So we see 2016 through 2019, he put up 21, 20, 22, and 19 points per game through the 2016 to 2019 season. Now, this is a hard cutoff. You got to hit it. You got to hit the numbers <laughs> for this data set. 2020 put up 14.9 points per game. So really, it did he hit the cliff? Did he did he totally fall off? No. But for this data set, he fell off in 2020. And then I think even in 2021, he actually put up 14.8 points per game. So I wouldn't call it a cliff for uh, Ezekiel Elliott. I'd call him more of like just a gradual declining slope. He's just slowly drifting down. But he just always stay. He's always producing for you. They're just going to keep rolling him out there in Dallas until he's you know off the field yeah. and can no longer rush the ball. I will say his elite production is over this year. I think he's he's in the twelve or thirteen point range as well. So you can definitely tell it's probably it's gone downhill. I believe since then. So um, sorry about that. And then yeah, so I think that one kind of stood out to me when you look at some of these guys on the bottom part of the list and and just trying to identify what the what the build of these running backs were, what kind of health issues did they have that kind of led to to the falling off. Uh, just because similar health issues and similar concerns may be with our current set of running backs, but. Um, yeah, 25-28. All right, let's, let's see what the current set is doing and break down where we're at with this NFL team. Yeah, one last thing. You did bring up a very good point here that I want to touch on before we move on. These top three guys that are over 3,000, I mean, they are probably the outliers of the outliers. I mean, Adrian Peterson, LaShawn McCoy, Matt Forte, and then you have the low guys. I mean, you have Todd Gurley that's also going to bring down this average as well because he didn't get the amount of touches before True. – he was really, you know, before he hit his cliff. 
And so I, I have actually taken some of this data. I, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. I can get that to you all afterwards, but I did do a outlier. I removed the outlier. So I removed all of the guys that were over 3000, removed Todd Gurley there below 2000 touches, Melvin Gordon being very close to 2000. And I think our number came in more around like 2300 for that data set. So, you know, you could take that into account as well. 2300 is more probably of the generic the you know we're talking the elite guys but these are the elite of the elite guys at the top here that are maybe affecting the data set a little bit but 25 28 i still believe is a very good number for the yep. data set that we're going to use moving forward and here's where we're going to move into our actual players for the guys we have in the nfl let's see who we got now to be on this list you have to have at least put up two yeah haven't had to put up the third one yet just two 15-point-per-game finishes throughout your career so far. And these guys, we see a lot of the names, a lot of the names that have been the staples at running back for the last couple of years. Uh, you want to go ahead and run through these real quick for me? Absolutely. So we have Alvin Kamara, Leonard Fournette, Derek Henry, Austin Eckler, CMC, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, JT, James Conner and David Montgomery makes the list. David he is Montgomery, the bottom of the barrel, though. Bottom, bottom of the barrel. He's our Mark Ingram, his, right? Yeah, he is. He is the Mark Ingram. You know, hopefully, you might be able to get a couple more fifteen point one games out of David Montgomery before he's you know falling off his cliff. But I don't know. He might have already fallen off his cliff, if you ask me. Uh, just breaking down a couple of these guys, we can see the the average of the elite seasons that they put up on the right. The highest one being Austin Eckler, actually, or CMC, actually. I'm sorry. CMC, you know, those elite years from CMC. He's going to do it again, too, man. Like, he's going to put up another one of these years, and he's uh, he's already putting it up, you know, 20.7 points per game so far this year. I mean, this block of guys that are – have been doing it. You can see most of them are doing it for the last three years in a row, and they're doing it for a fourth now. These guys have been staples at the running back position, and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting going into next year to see where this where their touch counts are and see if they are on the verge of actually actually falling off the cliff. Yeah, I think you know, looking at this list, like everyone obviously you said has done it a minimum of two times. So that's why we have Monty in there. We have James Conner. James Conner had a dip of a couple of years. We'll see what he does, you know, on average at the end of this year. Uh, I mean, three, three, four, 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 five, and five out of like that top group. I mean, absolute insane production from some of these guys and you know despite like alvin Kamara having a down year like i could see him bouncing back and i could see the rest of these guys sticking around so it kind of it's very interesting to see i'm, I'm curious where these guys are at on the cliff data compared to that 2500 touches yeah the thing that surprised me whenever i first compiled this one was if you asked me which were the guys on this list that were the five time 15 point per game finishers you wouldn't tell me it's Alvin Kamara and Leonard Fournette. I would not have freaking believed you. Yeah. I mean, Alvin's done it consistently since his his rookie year. Uh, Leonard Fournette, I guess maybe he's also a little bit more Mark Ingram-ish where he's just consistently a 15 to 18 point guy. You know, he's doing it again this year, 15 points a game. So who knows? Does he have one more year in him? <laughs> he's signed, so who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with that situation? But the rest of those names... 
man, Henry Eckler, CMC, Nick Chubb feels like they're going to do it again. Looking at it, looking at any of them. I mean, you could see any one of these guys putting up another 15 plus point per game season and just carrying on the trend and we'll see if it happens. And let's look into the actual touch data to see if it's going to happen or if they're going to hit that cliff. So here's our list of current guys. We now have them sorted from the most touches combined between college and the NFL, all the way down to the lowest guy we got at the top, Derrick Henry at the bottom, Josh Jacobs. And if we're looking at Derrick Henry, man, I know people have been calling for his fall off for a while, but he was kind of saved because he didn't really take that many touches in the first couple of years of his, in his career. And his college production was actually pretty low as well. But he's been a workhorse, and whenever you're putting up to 50-plus touches on the ground, man, it's going to take a toll on you. And that's why we see him up here at the highest guy, 24-15 total touches, just 113 away from that elusive 25-28 fall, cliff fall off. And if we're removing the outliers, he's already passed it. I mean, Derrick Henry might just be our next outlier that hits that like insane 3,000 mark. I, I could – Totally see it. And when you look at this again, he's at 2,400 just to kind of give you context. Uh, if you can't read or you don't want to look, Josh Jacobs is at 1,400 total touches um, there at the bottom of this list because he did not carry the ball much in or touch the ball much in college. But Derrick Henry, man, when you look at his body size, you look, we talk about LaShawn McCoy, Adrian Peterson, Matt Forte. Derrick Henry feels like an outlier. Derrick Henry feels like a guy I just want to die on my roster. He's probably going to hit the cliff of 25-28 this year because his final four games on the stretch are easy. He gets to play Houston, so there's 30 touches easily. Um, he's going yeah. to go off. He has the Jags this week, I think. I mean, he's got such a nice schedule down the stretch here. He's going to get 25 touches each game easy and, and be really close to that 2,500 number. So how many years do you think Derrick Henry has left? Just want to ask you that. And – if if you have him or if you can get him, do you just want to like what do you want to do with him? You're not moving him. If you if you put him on a roster, you're riding him until he turns into dust. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, until I have to cut Derrick Henry, basically, he's probably going to be on my roster because there's not a lot of teams that are going to be willing to take on a 28 going like 29 Derrick Henry. And so you're probably just holding him. You want him on your win now teams. And you asked me the question of how many years do I think he has left? This is where. I'm a stats guy, but you have to take stats into a little bit of context. Like you said, Derrick Henry looks like he could be the outlier. The body style, the style in which he runs, as long as he can avoid another like devastating injury, like the foot injury yes. that he had last year, if he just avoids those injuries, man, I could easily see him just being one of those elite of the elite guys and going up to 3,000 touches. And so if you're looking at that, you're probably looking at another one, one and a half, two seasons beyond 2022 that Derrick Henry could still produce for your team. And with where he's with where his value is from some of the teams, like if you can, if you have a team that's rebuilding and I can go acquire some Derrick Henry, I want to use him for a championship run in 2023. I'm all for it, man. Derrick Henry until, until he falls off, I'm perfectly fine with risking that he won't. Yeah. I will buy Derrick Henry. The, the issue is like if I have him on my teams, I just don't want to sell him because the, the problem is, is most likely people aren't going to be offering you what he's worth because everyone's going to be fearful of his age, his touches, and they're going to be like, ah, oh, well, he's, you know, 
there's no increasing value. He's just, he's a, he's a dying asset. If he gets hurt, he's done. If he falls off, he's done. Like, I don't, you know, what are you getting on a first plus? Can you get I I don't even think you're getting second. a plus for most people. Yeah. Like, and, and so that's the struggle that I would have. If I have Derrick Henry, I'm holding him. I just let him die. Even on a rebuilder. I mean, I guess if I can, if I can get some, some decent value, sure. But I'm willing to let it ride, man. I'm willing to let it ride with Derrick Henry and have him on my roster for the next two years. Are there any other guys you identify that kind of stand out to you where you're like, this guy's got a you know a few more years despite their age and looking at their touches? Yeah, despite the age, guys, you're looking at the one the one that scares me because he was the one that I was targeting here. Whenever I first ran this data in the offset, it was Alvin Kamara. And <laughs> Because his touches are low. I mean, he's only at a total touch count of 17.63. And if you're telling me that, I can get probably another three years yet of Alvin Kamara. I could possibly get like eight years of 15-plus points per game from Alvin Kamara. That's just <laughs> absolutely freaking ludicrous. Like, I that should not happen. The bad thing is he has not looked good this year. And whether that's a whether that's a byproduct of the offense being bad, bad offensive scheme you've got Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston being your quarterbacks I think it's a little bit more of that but I also don't think he hasn't looked the same to me and I'm hoping that you know one more offseason this offense gets a little bit more right he looks good again and I'm willing to buy in on Alvin Kamara because because of this touch count but I'm not willing to buy fully into it yeah, Alvin is a interesting one for me because one of his touches and two, he does catch a lot of passes. So he doesn't always take the the, the beat up in the middle. He he has over the past couple of years, like looking at it here, he, he's had his first two years or his first year over uh, 200 carries was last year. He had 240 carries, but this year he's only had 143 carries on the ground. So he's not getting the beat down. Yeah, he was out for a couple of games there. Uh, so he might end up getting to 200 carries. But again, he's just one of those Austin Eckler type guys who who doesn't get a ton of work on the ground. Sure, he'll he'll have those games. I don't think he's looked that bad. He's he's looked better this year. The like him physically, he's at like three point eight yards a carry. Last year he was at three point four. Yes, that's down from like a four point type average. I think he's had like four or five in years past. But that offensive line is so bad. That offense is so bad. Everything around him is terrible. So like I'm not totally going to put this on him. His points per game are also down because he's only had three touchdowns this year, all in one game as well. So the touchdown regression should be there, like positive regression should be there for him in the future. So I'm, I personally am not too concerned about Kamara long term. Um, that's just me. He's just one of those low touch guys. I feel like you, it's safe to take the bet on, and I feel like with with his year this year, he's someone you can buy this off season based on age, based on performance at a relatively decent price and, and be able to build around him or build with him. So personally, I'm willing to ride that out. And I do want to note uh, here, I, th I think with Alvin Kamara, I think he was a guy who went to a Juco before he did actually go to a big time program. And that data just isn't available for his college touches. So if he was in that, if the data is not available, I can't include it in the data set. You would think probably that the hits aren't as you know strenuous on the body at those levels as you as it would be if you're playing in the SEC and going up against NFL talent week over week, but it might take down some of these guys' touches like an Alvin Kamara who've 
maybe didn't start out at one of the power five schools. I think yeah, after this. that, let's see one of these other guys. I kind of wanted to dive into some of these college touches guys, guys that were just low in college touches, guys who just weren't used. We're also seeing that from Joe Mixon and Josh Jacobs. And they were guys that in Josh Jacobs scenario, I mean, he just had to sit. He just had to sit for a while on that Alabama team. He had, what was that running back room in Alabama? I think it was like Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, and Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, all in the same running. Al, back. That was that was Alvin Kamara's freshman year because Alvin Kamara was actually on that team. He just didn't get any touches that year. That he was, was with it, Alabama, yes. so like <laughs> insane. Yeah, insane <laughs> running back room. And so you see some of these guys. You know, you look at their college touches, and that's why even if you. That, that's why I wanted to include the college touches in this data set, because I do think that that actually matters. If we're only looking at NFL touches, it just doesn't feel like as widespread of a data set that I would want to be pulling all of my data from. You see guys, I mean, like Austin Eckler, probably four, four-year guy, UDFA in the 2017 draft, getting up close to 900 touches. You see Jonathan Taylor was an absolute workhorse almost a thousand touches in college like that that is one of the most insane stats that i've ever seen that you know a guy like jonathan taylor just put up that amount of touches in that short of time in college and it's going to i think long-term affect his durability in the league and so that's why these are included here in this data set i did just look up for you for alvin Kamara. he had 150 approximate carries or touches at uh, hutchinson cc when he was uh his during his transfer year so add another 150 to him he's still probably in the what is that 1900 range then at that point 1900 uh, yeah so he's right, right up there with Eckler Aaron Jones also guys from I believe both are from the 2017 class so you know he's kind of right in with the rest of his his counterparts from from 2017 um uh, yeah man JT's carries though like that that is insane you know especially for him only being a few years into to his professional career uh definitely something to to keep an eye on uh, Saquon Barkley do you feel like you know I, I look at guys that are truly elite in my eyes as far as talent goes and I look at Derrick Henry Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley are like the three big names I feel are, are the elite of the elite athletes and guys I could see producing long-term just because of their versatility. Well, Derrick Henry's different, but uh, they're all built different. Do you feel like those guys could make it also be into that outlier range? Or I think what could happen, especially for Christian McCaffrey, I don't know as much about Saquon Barkley, especially if he stays within the same scheme. Christian McCaffrey is just such an elite pass catcher. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a different level than Saquon or really any other guy on this list. I, even Austin Eckler. I mean, Austin Eckler is an elite pass catcher, but he catches almost everything like at or behind the line of scrimmage. Christian McCaffrey can literally just go out and run freaking routes with these guys. Like, he is a pure. As much as Debo was was being used as like a hybrid back, Christian McCaffrey is basically a hybrid back. And so I think he's one of those guys that could mold his game, maybe like an Aaron Jones as well, who's another one of those guys that's an elite pass catcher in my eyes. I think they could maybe extend their careers a little bit to where they could just be more of a pass catching option whenever they do turn, you know, 28, 29, 30, could maybe extend their careers and put up some of these 15 point per game seasons. But the usage has to be there and it has to be in the right offense. Yeah, well, couldn't could not agree more with you. Um, 
CMC, I, I he were like not he reminds me of but like James White. Like he had a pass catching role into his 30s. Like CMC, if they use him in a Debo role in San Francisco, being able to to give him a hundred plus targets and just let him do work in the passing game and limit his carries because I the flip side is he is in Shanahan's scheme and Shanahan could run him into the freaking ground. A little concerning just because we've seen, you know, CMC get beat up when he is having that massive ground workload. But yeah, I, he's a guy I could see, even if he did get banged up, he's still going to be a guy that has the talent to play into his thirties. Uh, so, you know, again, if you're looking at three, four, five years of CMC, Aaron Jones, already 27 years old. He's another guy, pass catcher. Austin Eckler, same thing. Those guys just don't get the volume on the ground that they're, you know, causes their body to break down. I'd much rather get tackled by a 180 to 200 pound DB than I would a 300 to 350 pound defensive lineman. I just common sense, right? So, (laughs) you know, that's why when I look at like Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, um, Leonard Fournette, you know, even Saquon, Joe Mixon, JT, like those guys all take that beating. And I feel like even though that I believe Saquon is an elite athlete, like it will wear down the body. And so if, if Saquon's built like Derrick Henry and can can withstand this over time, great. But I don't see Joe Mixon being that way. I, I don't see Nick Chubb, like even though he's an insanely good runner, love watching Nick Chubb run. But those, those carries are going to catch up to you, man. And when you're a bigger back, like I feel like you got a year, maybe two left. I do think that for some of those bigger backs, that 2,500 cliff is a little bit more realistic versus being an outlier. I think it is. And, you know, we're looking at Christian McCaffrey. He's third on this list at 21-11 total touches. And that's getting close to that cliff. I mean, that's if you're really looking at it, probably another year, year and a half for CMC. But you bring up a good point with the pass catching work. And this is what I want to do with this data set and this offseason is really develop this and take it a step further. I want to try to create this and take this to where it's a X touch factor, where your receptions are going to count less to your overall cliff data than your receptions are going to count less than your rushes will. Because you're right. Running up the middle like Derrick Henry does against 280 pound multiple guys landing on you every single time versus going out against those small linebackers, the nickel linebackers and safeties and corners. It's a different game. It's a different game when you get tackled. And you also have the extra benefit of a lot of these catches are probably just going out of bounds. A lot of your rushes aren't just going straight to the sideline and out of bounds as well. So really, you're not even getting touched there. It counts as a touch in the you know the stat book, but you're not even taking a hit on that play. So I don't think we can, you know, maybe maybe next gen stats can from Amazon, maybe they can, <laughs> you know, get get us a sponsorship and we can get some of those. Uh, how many times are they actually tackled data? That that'd be some good stuff to pull for this data set. But I, I do think that that's important to note for the guys like CMC who've put up an absolutely ridiculous 425 receptions in the league. Alvin Kamara at 424. It's not the same, though, for the guy that I really want to highlight here, the guy that I'm truly worried about on this data set, which is Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook all the way up at 2208 at the current moment of time. This All this data, I do just need to, I guess, state, because I don't think I've stated it yet. All of this data is updated to right now today, all the way through week 14. All of this data is updated for 2022. 2,200 total touches. You've got 
maybe a year if you're lucky, if he hits the average. If you remove the elite of the elite guys from this, he's right at the cliff right now. And I think we've kind of been seeing it with Dalvin Cook. I don't think he has the same same explosiveness watching him. He's, you know, there's some games where he's going for like two yards a carry in some of these games. And it hasn't looked the same. I don't think he has the same breakaway speed. So the body may just be slowing down on Dalvin. The touches are adding up. And he's one guy that, you know, whatever we whatever we say, sell these guys as they're hitting the RB cliff. Dalvin Cook is one that I'd actually willing to be willing to pivot off of this offseason if I have him. Yeah, he's still averaging 4.4 yards a carry, but it is, I think, the lowest in the past few years that he's had. Um, so he's still being efficient uh, on the ground. He, he has had some touchdown regression, but when you really look at Dalvin Cook's like monster seasons, it was because he had double-digit touchdowns. I think he had uh, 16 and 13 touchdowns the two years that he was a top-five running back overall in fantasy. And health has always been a concern with Dalvin. You're right. He hasn't quite looked like Dalvin. And, and, and again, it's, it's placing your bet, right? Not that I'm saying Dalvin Cook is not going to be good next year. He very well may be, but... I feel like that cliff is going to hit him and hit him fast. So if it is next year, um, I would pretty much say I would give it an 80% chance of being like he's got one more year and then he's done with his elite production. Not like he's going to be out of the league, but just one more year of solid running back one production and then you're out. And that's if you're lucky. The similarities to me, I wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure he wasn't actually in that 15 point per game mark this season. He's actually the next one on the list for being in point per game. He's one of those guys. And I compare it to, like we were talking about earlier, the guys who just missed the mark, Ezekiel Elliott. I could see the next two years playing out exactly like Zeke did. Whenever he finally dropped below that cliff, he can still be out there. He can still plot around. He can still be a good asset for your fantasy team. But to expect RB1 production for Dalvin Cook going forward, I don't know if that's going to be viable anymore. I think they could easily bring in a guy to actually take some touch workload from him in the backfield, split this backfield up kind of like they do in Dallas, and turn turn Dalvin Cook into basically a touchdown-dependent guy for if you want to be starting him weekly or not. Yeah, I I could definitely see him being, you know, again, a valuable asset for your team, but you're looking at high-end production and you're at this point what dalvin cook is is name value it is purely he's he's, he is older he has a lot of carries and touches on his body his dynasty value truly is not is not there anymore like you know he still is valuable now right now and i feel like that's why you you capitalize his value is not going to increase in any way shape or form only bad things can happen for his value even if he smashes the rest of this this year and into next year. Even if he smashes, you're still not getting more than the value that you can get right now. And that's why for me, like Dalvin Cook would be a, a sell. Like get liquid with him, uh, get yourself some draft capital, and you can probably reinvest into another guy that you're comfortable with. Man, you know what is uncomfortable? You saying get liquid with him? Get I do liquid. not. I do not like that. Oh, New segment. Get liquid. Oh. Who we trading? Get liquid with him, please. No, I don't. Oh, God. I'm going to get shivers every time I think about that one. And that one comes on the screen. But no, let's actually talk about the, uh, the like the fantasy value of Dalvin Cook. Do you think you yeah. could, do you think you could flip him for any first right now? And would you do it? Yes, I think you can. I feel like he, he's one of those guys that you can. And you might even be able to squeeze a, a small, small piece if you want a first and a third. 
Um, but yeah, a first, would I sell him for that? Depends on the team, depends on the situation. I feel like if d- direction matters, right? If I'm a win now team, I think I'm willing to let it ride. Um, if he is, if he is my RB one on my team, I will actually probably sell him because just looking futurist, you know, looking towards the future, if I'm sitting here saying I'm predicting my, my RB one to that is used to be putting up, you know, elite numbers for me is going to be only giving me about 15 or maybe right on the fringe. That's not RB one. Like that's not the RB one I want. I want someone that can smash for me and so i'd be willing to trade off of him because i think it'd be time for me to reassess what my team's direction is um and really figure out you know a better plan yeah and a lot of the teams right now are past their trade deadline so let's say let's say that this is as soon as the season's over whatever happens maybe you win the championship maybe you get bounced first round maybe you're not a playoff team but as soon as trade window opens back up then on any on any roster, are you okay flipping for any first? Yes. At the end of the year, like last year, I said, sell Debo. This year, I sell Dalvin Cook. <laughs> Take the value you can get for him now because he still has the name value. He still has that that cachet. I would definitely be looking to sell him um, as soon as I possibly could so that I can turn that capital into something else. Um, and I have all offseason to do that. Yeah, and you're holding, as you say, you get liquid with him. You're holding a liquid asset all the way through the season, all the way through the off season, and liquid assets can't get hurt. Picks can't get hurt. The uh, when you're holding the 108, that pick can't go down in value. So I, I think that is the right move. It's the move I'd be doing as well. As soon as the season's over, trade deadline or trade window opens back up, I'd be looking to move Dalvin Cook if I have him pretty much on any of my rosters. A couple of the other guys I wanted to highlight here, some of these lower guys, some of the targets that I want to go out and buy instead this offseason. I think those guys, the the one that's going to be hard to do, Saquon's the one, man. Like, I I owe full, I owe full apologies to Saquon. I wasn't a believer that he'd be able to, you know, bounce back. I didn't think he'd get the receiving work to do it. Saquon, Saquon's proven me wrong this year. Uh, I'm back in on you, Saquon, and – out of this out of this list right here, you know, I'm still projecting another two years of Saquon. If I can get two years of Saquon, man, I would totally do it. It's just the cost of acquisition right now that is going to be scary because you're going to have to pay up, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be willing to do that right now in most situations. Ding, ding, ding. ding. You are going to have to pay for him right now because he looks like he flashed what he was pre-injury right so we've seen kind of that production so when, when you're i'm looking at buys like I'm, I'm looking at it in a in a different context i think i'm going to look at josh jacobs and alvin Kamara as like my two big buys and maybe even aaron jones i want to wait i would wait on him but josh jacobs and alvin Kamara, the and the reason why i say that is because i'm zigging when everyone's zagging right everyone's talking about oh josh jacobs he's having record touches this is his best year of his career and they're right but his overall touches are still pretty low. He seems like a guy, if he ends up in a good situation as a free agent, that he can just continue to to do this. Is there a higher risk of injury next season because he's having this massive workload? Absolutely. Is it going to be career-ending for me? And that's what I'm looking at when I'm looking at this cliff and, and what the cost of acquisition is. So if I'm going to be able to get Josh Jacobs or Alvin Kamara, I mean, we got Alvin Kamara for a 24 first and a third. Like that's what basically just a 23 first, like in a way, like that's kind of how you really want to look at it because you're pushing the asset out. But like 
if I'm going to be able to get these guys for singular first or singular first and, and just a small kicker, like, do you, why not? Why not? Tell me why not. Cause I know you don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to on Alvin Kamara. Um, man, it's just, I don't, I don't think there, there was a little bit of hesitation at the beginning of the off season, maybe a suspension coming in 2023. I think that one's, basically just died out we'll see if the story resurfaces again in the offseason i know that court dates just keeps getting pushed and kicking (laughs) the can down the road on that one so we'll see if that comes back around from what i've heard i don't think it's going to be like the six games guaranteed that we were expecting earlier this offseason so alvin Kamara, i can buy i can buy in the right situation i don't know if i'm sending first man like i don't know if i'm sending first anymore because this this draft class is just going to be loaded with rb talent and there's a lot of guys that I'd rather just use a little bit of a re-roll on. But you're right, looking at just the pure data on it, Alvin Kamara should still be around and he should still be a good producer. I think it's going to depend a lot on what this offense does this offseason. And I might just be in a little bit more of a holding pattern until I see what this offense does and if they can convince me that I want to buy back in on Alvin Kamara. The one that I'm going to be in the same boat, or you're going to be in the same boat as me, where I'm not fully bought in on Alvin Kamara, my offseason buy is probably going to be Joe Mixon. He's the one that's lower on the list for me. He's basically like he's he's my Saquon light that I can buy at a much, much less price. He's definitely not Saquon. I'm not going to come out in here here and say that he's Saquon. But I think Joe Mixon is still going to maintain basically the same role that he's had in this offense last year. The offense is still going to be great. And Samaj P. Ryan, even though he looks good in his own individual stints they've just never shown that they're willing to split the backfield with anybody else in this offense and so joe mixon is probably going to be the one that i think the fantasy community is off of enough but i believe his touch count is low enough and i still think he's going to have the production that he's probably going to be the one that i'm targeting as a buy yeah that one is going to be tough for me to buy into (laughs) uh joe mixon this year has eight touchdowns on the year and we talk about alvin Kamara having all of his three touchdowns in one game joe mixon has five of those touchdowns in one game definitely booing things up but the you know bottom line is he he got the scores right he, he did get those scores but the touch the touches are down they are passing more they they, they figured out like what works for that Bengals offense and like they just don't need joe mixon to be successful i mean joe mixon he's not getting the he's got he's got targets this year he's got some catches but he's not scoring like he did last year and this year he's averaging like almost a four yards per game you know uh, or four yards per carry which is the lowest per game that he's had in the last several years i know that same thing with alvin uh both of them are low I just don't know that you can buy low on Mixon because he's still an RB1, whereas you know Alvin is a little bit lower and a little bit more deflated in value. Like, what do you think you can get Joe Mixon for right now? Like, is it a first and a second? Oh, I don't think you're paying anything more than a first for Joe Mixon right now. Really? I think I think the fantasy community is just like you with where you're at on Maybe. Joe Mixon. I think the I think the fantasy community is just kind of like, hey, you know, he's just one of those guys, you know. He might be, he might end up as like a, you know, if he stays healthy, he might end up as like an RB 11 or something. And that might be what it is. But I, I think the value that you can get on Joe Mixon will be there in the off season, especially once, you know, we start seeing these 2023 picks really rise in value. I don't want to be bold. 
play. Okay, I'm I'm gonna put I'm gonna put you to this one. I'm gonna buy myself a Joe Mixon share for two first this offseason. Or two, Wait, no, 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 two seconds this offseason. <laughs> oh, I am not a crazy person. I would send that for Saquon, maybe. No, I'm not even sending it for Saquon. It's a running back. Fuck that. Gave me a heart attack. Oh, I almost gave myself a heart, heart attack, too. I, I felt that one come out of the lips, and I was like, no, 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 let's reel that one back in. <laughs> but it's out there. It's in the void. It's probably going to get clipped now. No, hot two take. seconds. Two seconds. I will okay. buy a Joe Mixon share for two seconds this offseason. Okay. And if you're telling me I can do that for two seconds, even a first, I'm doing it. Absolutely, I'm with you. I feel like the cost of acquisition is there. The, the the carry total, I feel like Joe Mixon's still going to be around for a couple more years. The, the one thing that I do want to bring up, and I feel that it's important to talk about, is the fact that when, I'm buying, when it comes to running back, I am not necessarily buying these guys as soon as my trade window opens in the offseason. You know, a lot of these guys have uncertainty around them. Leonard Fournette, who knows what could happen? Derek Henry. I mean, like a lot of these guys have contracts that are cuttable. Whether we believe it'll happen or not is another story. Um, you know, Josh Jacobs is a free agent. We don't know where he's going to go, what he's going to do, and, and I'm willing to wait. Also, having said all that, what position gets injured a lot when we go through training camp and go through mini camp? Running back. Running back. And the last thing I want to do is spend a 23 first or a 24 first on an on a running back that we are talking about. Yes, they are up there in age. They might be up there in touches. And then all of a sudden you have a depreciating asset. So I am not necessarily buying these guys in January. I guess if you got Joe Mixon for two seconds, I'll do that any time of year. <laughs> so if you can get two seconds for Joe, you know, get Joe Mixon for two seconds. Yeah, you're right. I'll do that any time of year. 100%. Yeah. Best time to buy running backs is during the season. That's the best yes. time. When, that's the best time to buy running backs. Yeah. I Make do sure not, they're on I the field. I want to be holding the running back through the entire off season where they could get injured while training. They have to go through all of training camp OTAs. They have to survive the draft and not having somebody drafted behind them. Yeah. This exercise is fine right now. Store it in the bank. We'll we'll probably replay this one, you know, later in the year. Whenever we get to next offseason, we're we're in the OTAs then. And then we're gonna be like, hey, just a reminder, guys, these are the guys that we're gonna want to be targeting here as we come up. The last thing I want to touch on here on this slide before we do move on to our last one, I want to talk about some of these guys at the bottom because you're right, we're not all these guys are buys. I don't care what the touch count is for James Conner and David Montgomery, I'm not buying them. Oh, so I'm with you on Monty. I'm with you. I've seen James Conner go for thirds way too much this year. <laughs> I forgot about that one. So like at cost of acquisition. Yeah, but I, I, I'm 100% with you. I feel like, again, another guy that's replaceable, cheap contract. They can draft someone, bring someone in, make make a 1A, 1B situation. Who knows? Lots of question marks, but he's a replaceable guy in, in the end. David Montgomery, free agent. He's never really been like we we've always kind of bunched up Josh Jacobs and, and David Montgomery, like not we, but us as a fantasy and dynasty community. But truly, like Josh Jacobs is in another tier. Like Monty had the one season where he had that incredible run at the end of the year. But other than that, he's just been an RB2. Josh Jacobs has been an RB1 consistently. So I feel like I need to separate those two out. But yeah, if I'm buying James Conner, if I can get him, you know, again, I'm waiting till the season starts. But if you can get him for a second or a third, a singular, yeah, man, like 
why not? Like, why not take the, that's a guy I'm willing to gamble on at cost of acquisition just because he's so cheap. And if it works, you're, you're striking gold. Yeah, man. I forgot about that. James Conner for a third period of time. That was a, that was a wild moment in history. <laughs> I don't think you can do that one anymore. Now that he's right. uh, back to being a lead back. It's, it's amazing what injuries can do for your buy dips. Exactly. So. I think that's all we got on this one. Make sure if if you need the refresher, look at this board, take it down, make the notes you want to make on it. Again, reach out to me if you want to talk through any of this. Always open to talk this stuff. I do love all of this data stuff and you know making this better. It's what I'm going to be doing in the offseason. Before we get out of here, though, I want to look at some of these guys that could be moving into this, and we need to start tracking possibly their touches as we're moving forward. So let's look at some of those guys who have started to put up those top 15-point-per-game seasons. And on this list, we do have the new guys. This year, we finally got it from Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard putting up his 16.8 this season. Miles Sanders there as well at 15.3. Ramondre putting up 15.4. And then back in 2021, we have two of our top guys from this offseason that have taken a massive dip in value. Najee Harris and DeAndre Swift putting up 17.7 and 16.1 fantasy points per game, respectively, back in 2021. The one you got to look at here, and it's the it's the reason why some people were off on Najee. I wasn't actually, and I probably should have listened to this or should have followed this data a little bit more. 1,318 touches combined between college and NFL. <laughs> He's only in year two. That's a wild number compared to a Ramondre Stevenson in the same time frame only has 562 total touches. Yeah, man. Oh, man, that's crazy. I mean, but but at the same time, like, what? That's four, five more years potentially. It's still a you lot, know. man. It's still it's, a oh, lot. It's, These it's guys still are young. Lot. We don't need to be panicking. You know, this is again, it's just something to keep keep a track on. You know, I think what I like to use this for with these younger guys is a lot of people still use that age. They use the age yeah. cliff, and I think that's a little bit outdated. Whereas you're looking at somebody, Najee Harris, being the same age as a lot of these guys that are on this list. But when yeah. we're looking at it in terms of touch count, they're not the same age. We shouldn't be valuing the long-term you know, production of Najee Harris whenever people think that they're getting this running back for the next five, six, seven years. Najee Harris is a little bit higher on that, so you may want to take him down. You know, If you're looking really long-term, maybe you take some of these other guys because – long term you could be a little bit affected by this but that's just not how we play dynasty it's just something to track moving forward absolutely i think they're, they're fun numbers to look at and fun you know fun to kind of identify future guys i think we're going to see a lot of guys in the 23 class coming out here and getting opportunities early um as you have noted there Bijan robinson as when he gets drafted he'll have already 539 rushes and 60 receptions so he's already going to be right there at 600 coming into the league 600 college touches um so yeah, we'll kind of see how he's used in the NFL. We don't predict a major workhorse role for him. So we'll we'll kind of watch that. Um, I think Najee is one guy that I might buy. Like it sounds kind of crazy, but I just feel like his value's been so depressed and like has just been pushed down. He had a monster workload year one offensive line issues, foot issues this year. I feel like it might be a buy the dip opportunity on, on Najee Harris. But I'm done with DeAndre Swift. I like my little Sanders. I just don't know what he's going to be. Free agent and Tony Pollard. Same kind of thing, man. I just 
I like what happened this year. I'm super happy for him, but is this something we can expect consistently from Tony Pollard? I think this is a little bit, I think this is his probably ceiling year. I think he's still, I think he's, you know, but he is a free agent. I mean, we, we don't know he could true, right? We don't know where he's going to be. So if so Tony true. Pollard goes into a system where he's going to be featured as a predominant pass catching back and he's the only pass catching back, you know, he could he could replicate this. But it's just it's just another one of those guys to monitor as we do go through the offseason. I'm kind of with you on Najee Harris. I don't think that there's any way that this Pittsburgh Steelers organization goes another year of just ignoring offensive line. And so you would think that, you know, maybe a Kenny Pickett stepped forward in year two, improved offensive line. The weapons around him are still all there at the wide receiver, tight end, and the running back position. You know, you've got a little bit of a concern maybe with like Jalen Warren stepping in, but he's a UDFA. I'm not too concerned about that long term. So I'm kind of with you that Najee Harris might be somebody I'm looking to buy. Maybe you might have to actually get him pre-NFL draft because if they do just start acquiring offensive line talent, you're going to see a little bit of a buy-in from the community again. So you mentioned Joe Mixon buying in for two seconds. What do you think would be a cheap price to buy Najee for? Because, I mean, we saw him go for a second, second. just singular second, just second and a third. Second. Okay, okay. Let's see. I want to see what deal. I'm going to try and, and try and get some Najee Harris here uh, once trade windows open back up, but... Honestly, I really would not mind buying Najee Harris, even if I had to pay two seconds. Like, I feel like I that would be a cheap value. We'll see. I'm gonna I'm gonna explore some things. I'm gonna explore some things. Yeah, you're gonna see a lot, especially once we, you know, a lot of the people start coming back looking at the 23 class. They see all these running backs that are gonna be going in the second round. People are gonna love wrong. those running backs. And from what we saw from Najee this year. People are going to want those running backs over Najee just straight up, I think. And I think you can get Najee Harris for a second for almost any of those, especially the early second guys. I think you could get Najee straight up for almost any of those guys if you want to take that risk. You are not wrong at all. Any last things you want to touch on before we uh, jump out of here? No, man. Just want to reiterate again. I know this was a lot of data being thrown <laughs> at you all. So anything, any questions you have about it, anything you want broken down more, like I said, I'm going to be taking this data set. I'm going to be expanding on it this off season. That's my little off season project for myself among tons of other things. We're going to be doing stat dives for rookies as we go throughout this process. Um, I said, got any questions, want to reach out for anything, even if it's not about this, for trades, start sits, whatever the hell you want to talk about. We talk about fantasy literally for way too much a day, probably like <laughs> eight hours, 10 hours plus a day. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. And so please break up the monotony for us. Let us answer some questions for you. Drop them in the comments. Reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, at the handles that you see on the screen. Like, rate, review, all of those things. Sub if you want to. I mean, if you don't, you kind of suck. But, you know, I guess it's okay anyway. Anything else you got to plug, man? No, man. I Again, thank you all for joining us. If you made it to the hour and 10 mark, hour and 11 mark, uh, really, really appreciate your support. Please like, please subscribe. Helps us out immensely. And, yes, comment, reach out to us. We, we want to hear from you and how – uh, we can help you with your dynasty and fantasy football teams. So as we kick things out of here, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us here in the Fantasy Draft Room.